0: Welcome to episode 297. I know we're on our way to 300 of the Barcelona podcast brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Dan Hilton, and he's Levan, a.k.a. Barcelona. And usually I have a nice, big, long rundown ready to go. But Levan, today's all about the vibes. Today's all about the good moods. 3-1 victory over Valencia. And again, usually I start this off, but you were at the game. So I had to ask you, where should we start? Like, let's start by
1: the fact that we did not suck for the first match in <laughs> no since um since Levante so you know it's the third match this season i think we already played like about eight matches it's the third one in which we are not terrible so i think that was pretty good uh what i think was interesting is that we controlled the match and even though we did not create a lot of uh, a lot of scoring opportunities we always gave the impression that we were about to create something so that's not half bad and most of the match we were clearly the better team. Uh, the, the concern is those couple of moments where Valencia still caught us off guard. And um, like it could have easily gone the other way.
0: Yeah, I mean, I would say for most of that match that not terrible. I'll actually push that. I'll push that line and say, not only were Bertha not terrible, but, but they were actually good. I, I thought they were good for large stretches of that match. And when they weren't good, as opposed to just feeling like something is amiss or something is wrong, the way the system, which we're going to talk about a lot today on Sufanti, we're going to talk about um, even Aguero at the end. So we'll hit all the points of the match. But I thought that the times when they were poor yesterday, which was about 12 to 13 minutes of 90 minutes, I can actually pinpoint why that was. We can actually diagnose and discuss the issues as to why Valencia or how a Valencia took back momentum in that match. And it wasn't so much as they were just disor- that being Barca were just disorganized or something was going wrong. So let's start talking, I think with Ansu Fati because I mean, you know, being there, I think it was different than just watching it from home. You know, I think the things that he does on paper, as we've said about him, just being a very, very good player, a winger, I was a bit surprised to see him start, but you know, seeing the feeling that you kinda got or and I know it's not a, a full crowd that can't know it was what forty seven thousand yesterday, the the first chance of full capacity. But I, I know that, you know, in front of the home crowd, I, I think Kuman took the calculation that while Dinamo Kiev on Wednesday feels more must win because of the Champions League situation and our classical is always a game that, you know, emotionally matters to everybody and you, you want to get some kind of result there. I think Kuman looked at this Valencia match and said, Hey, if Ansu Fati is not fit to start all three of them then I want to actually start him against Valencia and hope that the team plays well and they create almost some pseudo post-international break identity. And that's the team that I can bring to Dinamo Kiev and that's the team I can bring to Real Madrid, regardless of whether or not Ansu Fadi is starting all three of those matches. So I was- You have to set the tone, right? Right, I think he chose to set the tone instead of saying, I need Ansu to start against Dinamo Kiev because it's a more important match. Mm -hmm. I mean, Ansu might start all three, but I'm assuming he doesn't just because of his time off.
1: Um, well, I mean, here's also because that's, that's also why he subbed him out after 58 minutes. Yeah, yeah. And I think that was a very conscious decision as well. And I think that he would have subbed him out regardless, whether we were winning, drawing, or, or, or losing. So that, that is part of not just his Ansufati's recovery, because I think he's recovered, uh, but also the fact that we have very uh, three very intense matches within uh, eight days right so uh, I think part of the plan was always to to sub him off after uh, after one hour and then uh, against Kiev maybe he'll sub him off depending on how the match goes so if we're up and it looks like we're comfortable then again he might not play the full 90 minutes in order to make sure that he's ready for for Madrid
0: yeah yep I agree so Uh, And I think one of the big reasons, too, with Ansu Fati against Valencia, one of the reasons that I think Barca, not only did they go down early, sure, that was a bummer, but the reason that that goal happened in 13 minutes is because Ansu Fati is the best player on the field. And I I don't want to understate it or undersell the fact that Barca want to move the ball so much better when he's there because I I think the big through line, the big thesis of this is that it it even doesn't come down to individuals or system, but having Ansu Fati on the, the field means that your left wing, and in, in part up top, the center of the field, along with Memphis Dubai, is, those are dangerous places. Those are dangerous areas that Valencia have got to consider. And that means that Valencia is defending on the back foot and not pressing and going after Barca on the front foot, which means Barcelona is defending on the front foot and not defending on the back foot, with the exception of, the, to me, I had the 58th minute until the 73rd minute when Barcelona were defending on the back foot other than that they were defending coming forward going forward even playing out of the back all things worked and even like some simple nuance too of just having Ansu on the field tactically what that what that improves and what that changes it it makes it there was a there was a sequence I think in the first half where Ter Stegen has the ball and you can see how much easier it is to build up from the back and again that also starts not with Ansu's pressure but the fact that with Antu on that left wing, and especially with Dest out on the right wing pushing high and almost a 4-3-3, really, and then Jordi Alba also being dangerous on that left side. that it was a
1: 4-3-3, totally.
0: Yeah, yeah, it was a 4-3-3, right. And so using the width and using the, the wings in a way that Barcelona have not, even in the 4-3-3 prior to Ansu coming back, the fact that those wings are so dangerous means that De Jong doesn't have to extend himself vertically and horizontally. He can kind of just stay at home in the center of the park, and that helps Busquets so much. And we were talking when watching Spain in the international break, you know, how do you get more out of Busquets? How do you get Spain Busquets? And there was arguments about, well, international football is a, and then domestic football. But we did see a little bit of that nuance here that Ter Stegen building up in the back always has four to five, counting the fullback in Sergio Roberto on the right side, every time he wants to build out of the back as outlets in theory. And then Valencia have to choose who they cover, meaning if... If it's Busquets or Eric Garcia who played really well too, if Ter Stegen gets the ball to them, they're going to be open enough to find that next ball to either Busquets or to break a line to get to the young, break that first line of pressure, or try to get it forward to Memphis, who did well with his back to goal yesterday. And if you get, if that being Ter Stegen, if he gets it through that line, as in Busquets is being man marked as he usually is in the Liga, that means you you bypass that first line of attack, that first pressure. If you get it to De Young and he's close enough to Busquets that even if it's to Busquets, he now has De Young as a quick outlet. So the spacing of De Young and Busquets, we were talking about that. If you play a midfielder closer to Busquets, you get more out of him. And then when De Young did push forward, Sergio Roberto would come over and play as in an averted right back, basically the second midfielder. And that really worked to me. I, you know, I, I yeah, yeah it, it it made so much sense to me. And you can't do that if Ansu Fadi isn't that so isn't so much of a danger up top. Valencia doesn't have to worry about that additional. There is no additional winger in, in any kind of situation where Ansu is on the field,
1: right? Yeah, so uh, a lot of things happen uh, when Ansu is there. First of all, his connection with Memphis is pretty good as well, so they create movement also because they switch, they, they can easily switch. Ansu can drop into the center, uh, Memphis drops back, Anzu goes into that space, vice versa. So that creates a lot of um, movement and dynamism, uh, dynamic uh, situations that Valencia then has to like uh, account for, right? But uh, another difference was that Jordi Alba was back. And he is so hated that he's underrated because we hate him for the things that uh, sometimes uh, he does very poorly. Especially because that, that happened on high profile in high profile matches, uh, that we don't properly rate everything that he does well. So I thought that um, not only did Ansu have a good connection with Memphis, he also had a pretty good understanding with uh, with Jordi Alba, because he always like created that space for jo- Jordi Alba to run into as well. And uh, just just the fact that we have somebody on the pitch who everybody knows. Can score a goal with even half a chance because you know,
0: let's talk about been, goal. Yeah, break, break that down for me. His two finishes have been they're really good. It's
1: finishes. insane. Yeah, it's insane. And and like he's eighteen years old. He's injured for ten months, and I actually looked it up after the match. How many minutes he was back? Because somebody asked. Somebody asked me like, how many minutes? Uh, how many goals per minute does he score? He came back from 10 months of injury and he has scored two goals in 94 minutes of playing time. And both of the goals are from outside the box. Like that is just insane. He didn't even play that well yesterday. He had a lot of poor touches. He, he did not have that many touches to begin with, but the, the moment that he gets a whiff of the goal, he is so dangerous. I mean, that right. dude was a killer, man. That 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 guy is like, <laughs> he's like our, Arya Stark.
0: Yeah, I, I have a funny Game of Thrones story about that. Sometime I never watched it, my wife did, and then I accidentally recorded the the first episode of the final season doing my you know my homework to learn Spanish, and I recorded the first episode of the final season in Spanish, and I spent the uh, most much of that night translating, and I was like, oh, there's something happening with brothers, and there's a there's an assassin somewhere. And she's like, yeah, of course that makes sense. But uh, anyway, it's, it's a funny story of another time. But yes, Anzupadi is exactly that. He's a killer. I mean, he scored in eight Liga games as a starter in all those games. He scored Barcelona's first goal of the game. He seems to be unafraid. And that connection with Memphis is, yeah, they have a, they seem like they have a fine relationship off the field. But I mean, you probably got the same sense in the stadium that with a player like that on the field again when you have the best player in a game you don't feel like you're out of the game and that's a lot different than Barca without Ansu Fati on the field and even that penalty that Memphis scores I mean that is one of the better penalties I may have ever seen I mean the guy has so much power in the lower half of his body obviously his thighs are gigantic and he had just a little bit of a run-up short run-up and the power he got on that penalty was incredible. I mean, Silasen, it doesn't matter. You could have put two goalies in there and they wouldn't have had a chance unless they were standing in front of where the ball landed in the back of the net. I mean, unless they were literally standing in front of that spot to try to parry it. And even then, they wouldn't. He's have... probably happy that he didn't. Exactly. Because that's <laughs> hurt. Yeah, hurt like heck. So, I mean, I think Memphis, as crazy as it is that Memphis is a player with all this swagger, all this confidence, he feels, it seems to me that Memphis actually is a bit more confident to do some of the, the little things because he knows that Ansu is there. Even the goal, that little layoff to Ansu Fanti, and a credit to to Sid Lowe over on the uh, the Spanish football podcast for basically pointing this out, that he, he used the hyperbole to discuss how it, it very much looked like a Messi to Suarez. Messi basically gives the Suarez in a position where Suarez can only give it back to Messi as he's making that run towards the center of the field. And with Messi's left foot, there's no doubt it's in the back of the net. <laughs> And that's basically what Ansu did as well. That that little build up with Gabi, Jordi, Alba, they they use the strong side, overload the left. Memphis made his, not even a run. He just drifted in to create a little bit of damage, let the center backs know he was there, put his back to goal. And Ansu gave him a pass in a way that Memphis could only put it right back on the foot of Ansu. And if that little dink was completed, Ansu was going to put that in the back of the net. I mean, and you know, beyond that, even again, the the fact that Dest on the right wing had to be taken seriously, because as you said, Alba was the one who was getting the only one really getting in behind Valencia yesterday. And so Dest wound up being more dangerous for some kind of cross from Alba. And it's, it's, it's simple math here that over the course of a career, sure, maybe Dest will get better, but Alba is a better crosser than Dest. And it's a novel concept, yeah. but you're absolutely right that the return of Alba just makes Barcelona better on balls into the box because he's, you know, just better at crossing the ball than Dest is. From left yes, or right but, side.
1: but what Dest does does do, and he, he does it a lot better than, uh, uh, than we've seen other players do this season, is he keeps the pitch wide because he's still skilled enough that, you know, you cannot not defend him. Because, yeah, he's not going to, like, if you do not defend him on that flank, he's not going to put in a killer cross, but he's just going to co- come closer to the goal and he can still create trouble when he gets closer to the goal, uh, to the goal, because he's so skillful.
0: Yeah, I mean, last so, week for the U.S., he scored that. He, he, I mean, yeah, it was. It doesn't matter who is against. Against, I know it's against a opponent, but I mean, he scored a, a banger midweek, and I, again, it, it, I know that the. Well that's the more like a training did, goal. Well, yeah, I know that the I know that the opponent does matter, but he has scored three goals in the last two years. It's not like he's not gonna be a danger mm-hmm. in front of net. You know. And I mean, he scored two against Dinamo Kiev. So again, I'm not saying that you need him to take over and score against Real Madrid. I'm saying that Des can be a danger in the box if you don't guard him. I mean, so is Coutinho. When Yunus Musa, I was unfortunate to see the American completely ball watch, and Coutinho was just wide open for that goal. So yes, even if Coutinho, even Coutinho, anyone will, will cause some havoc. But um, that's because nobody expected
1: Des to actually get rid of his two or three markers that were that were around him. Mm-hmm. So a lot of credit needs to go to, to Des as well.
0: But, yeah, I thought he was yeah. good. I, I know I, it came out on Twitter or something that I, I, like I wouldn't say he would, wouldn't play well. But I mean, LeVon, you've been hosting now with, for me with a few months. And I mean, have I ever not given Des a compliment when, when he deserves it? It's, it's, it's like one of my biased shows, shows brightest.
2: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed.
0: Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tbpod, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash tbpod now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. shopify.com slash tbpod.
1: No, he's been good this season so far. I'm like, it actually seems as if he's improving when we compare him to last season, right? Because last season, he had a lot of matches in which he was not very good now he's already had a couple he's putting in some some matches where he impresses so all good there
0: but uh, i think positioning for him matters though too because like if he's playing on the right wing if he's not good then it, it's very bad because that means Des did not make any impact on the game if he's bad as a winger but if mm-hmm. he's playing as a right back he can still have a fine or passable game because of his defensive duties and you know he's being asked a bit more And when he does get forward it's an extra bit of an added bonus but when he's playing as a winger I think he either has to be good because of all the things he does or he's going to be bad and he's actually almost going to be a negative for Barcelona. So the fact that he's been a net positive out on the right wing has been a bright side, especially again yesterday when Des is good and they have that width, it, the whole team is better.
1: I think so far we've, we've usually seen him play well when he either plays uh, as a wing back, or yesterday or yesterday as a winger or funnily enough when he played as a left back. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas um, at right-back, the position that we signed him for, I think he, he is rarely impressed yeah. in that position. That might become a cause, uh, cause for concern at some point, right? Because I don't necessarily think he's good enough to be our winger, a right forward or a winger in the long term. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, he's not going to be better than Dembele or he does not have the potential of Yusuf Demir. He's more of like, you know, if you put him there, um, he has certain attributes that will help the team technic- tactically the way we saw yesterday. However, eventually, where he needs to become good is at the posi- position that we sign him for right back.
0: I feel like that's, uh, I want to call it Junior furpo syndrome, where Junior Firpo was signed as a left back and was better as a right center back, a left center back and a right back than he was at left back which is unfortunate for Junior Firpo. And I I mean, I get it. I also think that,
1: you know, um, he got so few matches that we don't really, we don't really know how good he would have been. I'm not sure either uh, how how he is doing right now. Have you followed up on Firpo?
0: Well, Leeds is not having a great season and he is also not having a great season, but that's, it's more of a team thing than it is an individual player thing in the way that I don't think, I mean, you could say that up and down Barcelona's lineup that, so many players are who are so many people who aren't watching Barcelona will make an indictment of a certain player's season based on not, you know, not watching the, the, the team from week to week. And they're going to think that what that the whole team is struggling in some way or that one player is not particularly good for one reason or another. But OK, I want to go back to talking about the the defense, though, and kind of the negative part when things did kind of turn. And I don't want to oversimplify it and say that it was because Ansu came off and Coutinho came on and Coutinho was not adding the width that Barcelona had. So Valencia kind of took advantage of that. Barca basically, I mean, they became a 5-4-1 or a 3-5-2, whatever you want to say, if you think that Coutinho was actually the other one up top, but he really wasn't because he kept coming back, defending a little bit deeper and passing the ball back. So, I mean, as I said before, we've seen Busquets is better when he can defend on the front foot, step forward to the ball. And then the way that Barca kept turning the ball over in their own half and inviting that Valencia pressure... I mean it was a tough 15 minutes to watch because I mean the second they lost width the second they or the second that it seemed that they lost width when Ansu Fati came off whenever that when that threat went away up top then Valencia jumped on that opportunity and listen under Bordalás who's a, a I mean a good manager and under a Valencia team that has shown a lot of fight a lot of heart Carlos Soler is one of the best players in the league of this year. You knew they were going to be unafraid, but they seemed to almost capitalize. They almost seemed to say, Hey, we know Antu's going to come out of this game at one point, And now we have the best player on the field. And I felt like that happened with, I mean, I don't know with Carlos Soler. I mean, he was very, very dangerous. The minute Antu came off the field. And I don't know if those two things are correlated, but it, just from a sense of watching. I mean, was it different in the stadium? I, I, I know you're a little skeptical of that.
1: That, that bowl that, um, when they hit the post, I think that was before Anzu's substitution, wasn't it?
0: Yeah, I mean, it, I don't think it, it perfectly correlated. Like Valencia turned it on the second he went off the field, but I, I thought they were finding the game around the, what, 52nd, 53rd minute. He comes off in the 58th. Yeah,
1: I mean, yes and no. I thought uh, when, when, I saw it, when I saw the game live, uh, I thought Coutinho was terrible. Uh, every time that they passed him the ball, he slowed everything down. I also don't understand why they kept passing continuum on the ball because they stopped going to the right flank altogether. Yeah. Whereas Dest was playing well. So uh, it was weird for me that they they stopped looking for Dest at all. So it was like two things going on. One, Anse goes off and you miss that speed. You miss that threat. Uh, and number two, you don't spread the ball to both, both sides of the, of the pitch anymore. You just look for Coutinho, and Coutinho was precisely the person who, uh, who slowed everything down. So that was, that was unfortunate. I don't know why Koeman trusts Coutinho so much. I think it would be more interesting to see Ricky Push play in that position, more dynamic, more dangerous on the ball.
0: Oh, I mean, Pedri's going to be back in a second, and Pedri is much more... I mean, remember, he was a left-winger at Las Palmas. Pedri's obviously the answer to being much more dangerous in that position. Um, And even some of the advanced metrics, too. I think Barcelona, this setup that they had was also complementary. I had already mentioned Busquets and De Jong, and the one or the two starters we haven't mentioned yet. And again, when you play well like this, it seems like you have to go starter by starter and individual by individual because of how they fit in the system. Because it it was different than the way that Barca have been playing so far, especially against Benfica. And, you know, we haven't talked about, the two we really, really haven't mentioned were Sergio Roberto and Gabi. And I looked, and Gabi has the most precious per ninety of any player for Barcelona, which is unsurprising. And you can chalk that up to a bit of youth, a little bit of exuberance. He does have eight yellow cards in, yeah, you know, or sorry, uh, what was it four yellow cards and eight appearances? Yeah, it's yeah, four yellow cards and eight appearances, which is you know a lot for a for a seventeen year old, for a seventeen or any player to have. Uh, so clearly that's something. But as I said, I think a lot of his yellow cards come partially from inexperience and exuberance, but he doesn't get away with the same things that Pedri does, where Pedri finds a way to get his body in between the attacker or the ball and the attacker where he doesn't get a yellow for almost the same tackle, where Gabi winds up not being able to slip his body in. And again, that's something he might learn with time. But I think his position just puts himself in a, a, in a tough spot where he picks up the yellow, and the tackles look worse than they are uh, because he's not as elegant, we'll say, at, at sliding in as Pedri is. And again, I think that's... Uh, no,
1: I, th- I think he's just simply more aggressive. But uh, what I think is also very interesting is that, um, yeah, so he has four yellow cards in eight matches, but he usually gets those yellow cards pretty early in the
0: game. That's the more worrying thing, yeah. Because now you can't take a tactical foul. Now you can't pick up a yellow.
1: Yeah. Right. But after he, after he gets that first yellow card, he does not foul anymore. So that actually shows how, uh, how disciplined
0: he is. That's true. Yeah, he hasn't picked up that second yellow. Yeah, agreed. Not, not even
1: just a second yellow. He, he doesn't foul anymore. And it's not as if all of a sudden he becomes completely uh, ineffective because he stops fouling, right?
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, why do you... Why do you think that is? I mean, how is he changing the way? I mean, is it just like is it the same thing with yeah. basketball when a guy gets a fifth foul and you know he stops fouling or he gets conservative with it? I mean, yeah, must be. Yeah, um, but I don't think he becomes a be. worse. He
1: he he, he controls he controls himself.
0: Yeah, and I don't think and he becomes the worst player when he does that. I, I think he still puts himself in the right spots. I don't. I mean, do Barcelona def- weaker defensively when he stops fouling.
1: Yeah, but he's just a, a bit more careful about it. Yeah. So. I mean, I really like that he does not shy away from the challenge and that he goes in hard. And I also like that once he picks up that yellow, he does not get a second yellow. So watch me jinx it, and then you know, next match he, he gets yeah. sent off. Right. Me and my big mouth, sure. But so far, you know, um, I don't. I don't look at this as uh, as the issue that other people might might see it as. Sure.
0: Well, yeah, I mean. Yeah, I don't know how I feel about it because it's true that, I mean, the yellow card accumulation in, in theory matters, but Barcelona should have enough midfielders where when one midfielder misses a match, it doesn't matter. And so it shouldn't, exactly. it, it shouldn't be a, a talking point at all. And if not, we can always sign Pogba. Okay. All right. So (laughs) there are things that we do touch and don't touch. And that's something we're not touching. Because if you want to hear that Pogba talk, Emil and I spoke about Sterling and Pogba on Monday's show. But I want to talk about other midfielders. And that being when Nico Gonzalez and Oscar Mangatha came on yesterday. And that pressure from Valencia kind of dried up. And what that leads us to, to, to is talking about the play that everybody always, obviously, uh, if, if you have us in your ears, just turn us up because we're doing the Sergio Roberto thing. Everyone loves this. But actually, I don't want to overthink the Sergio Roberto. I don't think it's going to take us very long to, to go through this explanation. As far as his performance yesterday, he was asked to be the right back, very defensive against Gaia and, and Guedes because uh, Guedes was, I mean, he was, Giving a difficult day to PK, who other than getting turned around a few times, PK was you know fine enough. But Roberto's job was to support Des defensively because Des was pushed way high up on that wing for the right wing to add width, and so it was to stay at home. And then, as I said in the buildup, it was to move a bit to the center of the field and be that help for Roberto. I mean, for Busquets when De Young got forward. So he was just basically asked to be the 11th starter on the field be the 11th best player for Barcelona while he was on the field and just do his job without making mistakes. And I don't
1: think well, he, he, he was the 11th, but he is the 11th best player.
0: Right. But I mean, but what do you think um, of performance? I mean, there are people who said he had bad team. performance, but how are we judging I'll, that performance? He just did the job he was asked to do and Barcelona won. So I, I thought he was, I thought he was good,
1: especially the first half. I thought he was good. He positioned himself. Well, he, Made good decisions on the ball. What I think was interesting is that um, when I saw the lineup, and I, I admit I saw it like really fast an hour before the match because I'm I'm in the middle of moving, so uh, I was like putting together IKEA, an IKEA bed, uh, trying to get it done as fast as possible before uh, before the match started. And I saw Sergio Roberto and I saw Dest. So my my first my first thought when I saw that was oof, Sergio Roberto in midfield again. But then when I made it to the stadium and actually, like, you know, I saw them line up on the pitch, I was like, hey, oh, nice. Yeah, Sergio Roberto on right back. And and that's, that's as a forward. I like that a lot more than Sergio Roberto in midfield. Uh, of course, what is funny about it is that everybody always says that Sergio Roberto uh, should play in midfield because at the right back position, he is out of position. But I do not want to see him in our midfield, even less then, then I want to see him at right back.
0: I mean, I think, I mean, he kind of did both. That's what I mean. He was asked to do what he does best. And I think he did that job. And as I said, I don't know what more people want from him knowing that the player that he is, other than saying, oh, I want him to be replaced by Mangatha, which is what he was. Now, again, the only alarm bell I ring is the fact that once Mingetha came on the field and Nico Gonzalez replaced Gabi, it, once those subs happened, Barcelona kind of settled down a bit and closed out that match I think, much better than they did before those two substitutions. So, I mean, mm-hmm. I, yeah, I mean, I, I think there is something to that, that Mingeitha does. He moves the ball a bit better than Roberto, but Roberto's defensive positioning was better than Mingeitha's. I would
1: I would flip that statement. You think
0: Roberto moves the ball better?
1: Yeah, a lot more fluid. A lot more fluid. A lot faster. A lot better understanding of his teammates' positions and where he needs to pass the ball. I think where you worry about with uh, Sergio Roberto is the defense. He cannot defend one-on-one, even though yesterday he he was decent. He gets taken advantage of in the air. It, there's just like, he's not fast and he's not physical. And Minguesa gives you that as a right back. He's a, probably a little bit faster, but he's, he's also stronger and just a better defender.
0: I mean, that's interesting because I think, yeah, I mean, this is, this is, this is interesting because I think that Mingeza, why one of the reasons why Barcelona settled down a bit was because, I mean, maybe you're right that Mingatha was using his, his physicality and his, his body shape to be able to put Valencia back on the back foot. As I said, where Barcelona, again, started defending on the front foot instead of the back foot when those substitutions happened. And I think Roberto... You know, and I think, yeah, I think when Valencia had the ball, Roberto was absorbing the pressure a bit more where Mangatha is going to go at the pressure and help Barcelona keep the ball. So I think, yeah, I mean, maybe that's right. I mean, again, I'd have to go back and look at, you know, progressive passes or whatever it be and the speed of those. You know, I don't have a stopwatch checking to see how long it took uh, them to pass around. But something definitely changed and I am interested to see more of it. But I think the greater point about Roberto is kind of the one that we've been shaking around. And I want to ask you, yeah, let's keep going on Roberto then.
1: Well, I think one of the things that, that, that changed was uh, during the second half, they stopped going to the right for right. long stretches of the game. Uh, and then when, when Mingeza came on, I think they're, that that's when they started playing the ball towards the right uh, again. So it was not, necessarily something that Roberto did not do or mm. something that Minguesa did. It's just that the the team started balancing the ball better. So maybe that's why you you would relate that impact yeah, to, to Mengeza.
0: Right. Well, yeah, I was going to, we we're going to go into the system thing, but before that, I actually want to mention, before we get off the back line, uh, Eric Garcia had, I mean, one of his top two performances in a Barca shirt. I don't need to overthink that either. And it is interesting to note that the system changed to as interestingly enough last year with Kuman the best of our played that stretch when they were playing consistently that three, five, two, when they went on that run in January and February, you know, this is the same formation. And now that they went with this, you know, I guess you'd call, yeah, well, four, three, three, but really when they have the ball, it is a three, five, two. That's what it is. When they have the ball, Roberto steps in as that third center back and they push the wings high. So it, you know, when they're on the front foot like this and playing well, it's a three, five, two, but it is a four, three, three sure. but Eric Garcia in this system, it's, it's a direct correlation. It has, it, it is a system thing. And Eric Garcia has proven that if there is a system that supports his strengths, just like Busquets, he plays well. And when he is left to his own devices, he doesn't. And mm. I mean, is it, is it that simple? Cause I thought he was good yesterday but if let's say Barcelona go back to a four three three or traditional four three three or make him be just a regular back to center back again. And De Young is, you know, gallivanting around. Not not to say that he's choosing to, but De Young is, is being is being tasked with getting a lot farther forward, Busquets doesn't have that extra help. Um, then do you think Garcia goes back to having the issues he's had this season?
1: I don't think it's about four three three or three five two. Uh I think very much like Busquets, uh with Eric. Eric Garcia, you do not want him running backwards.
0: Of course, yeah.
1: You like you were talking about front foot, back foot. Um, you do not want Eric Garcia on the back foot because that's where his strengths are minimized. Whereas you know what is he good at? Obviously, he's very good on the ball. So you want to have the ball. Uh, you want him to be able to break lines. Uh, which, you no, know, that that pass to Jordi Alba was mm-hmm. just all kinds of gorgeous. But uh, what what is he good at defensively? Well, he's pretty good at anticipating, and it, and uh, he's pretty good at cutting out the pass by getting in front of the defender uh, instead of out muscling the defender. Yeah, you know if you make sure that Barcelona has always keeps the initiative and keeps the game in front of him, and uh, you keep the lines together, then you have a decent defender uh, and somebody who is excellent on the ball. However, if, uh, for example, the game against Bilbao, where Barcelona is constantly forced backwards, that's when you're going to see Eric Garcia suffer. Now, is he, become, is he going to become an even better defender and suffer less in those situations? We would certainly hope so, right? Because even, um, even the best Barca teams that we've had uh, has gone through matches in which during some stretches they are uh, forced to defend.
0: Yeah. And, and I think the system, I mean, again, I, I go back to the system even beyond Eric Garcia, that if the system supports the ability to absorb some of that pressure and to play through that pressure and to get out of that pressure with the ball from the back. I mean, that's how so many teams around, again, it's not 10 years ago when only a few teams could play with the ball at the back. Now everybody can do it from a, a Sunday side, all the way up, all the way up to the top. So, all right, last thing about this Valencia match, then we're going to end the show quickly with the general assembly stuff that was happening in, I want to say the background, but really it was the, uh, it was the pregame show, if you will. So you also saw Sergio Aguero make his Barcelona debut. Uh, and Emil and I were talking about it on Monday that, you know, he says he almost gets an underrated rap. I, I think at least on the internet, just because he is one of this, these, these great, great strikers over the last 15 years. But for some reason or another, he's never really had the, the the type of goals that puts him in that top echelon pantheon that you think about, or for some reason, he just winds up not being thought about. But, you know, at, at the tender age of, what is he, 33 now? I don't know. You were there. I mean, what are people, even in the stadium, expecting of him? Clearly, he does not have the legs. But, I mean, if Sergio Aguero is supposed to be what Luke DeYoung is supposed to be, then Sergio Aguero obviously is a gigantic step up from Luke DeYoung and is that a simple uh, let's thing? hope so. <laughs> right. I mean, jeez. Um I don't know. I'm I'm very you skeptical. Easy, I didn't set you up for easy Luke De Young jab there. I, this is about <laughs> <get you. laughs> No, I'm I'm
1: skeptical, but I've never been a big Sergio Agüero fan, even when he was linked with us. I think um Tata Martino had him on the list. Because mm-hmm. they uh, they actually found the list and took a picture of the list and put it in Mundo Deportivo or Sport at the at, at the time and Sergio Avila really was on top of that list. And I was like, Oh god, no, no, don't spend money on money on this guy who, he seems like a nice guy, actually. So it's not like I dislike him. I mean um, he's on Twitch
0: just... now, so he could him and PK, they could find us. I mean, they're they're in the media now too. They're coming for mm, our job. True. <laughs>
1: yeah, no, definitely. And they'll they'll get more followers than we do. Oh, yeah. Um but I don't know. I just never been impressed with him. He's one of those guys that I know he scores goals, but every time that I watch a match with him, a match in which he plays, he does not play well. So let's see what I was surprised about though, is he was extremely popular in the stadium and, um, the moment he started warming up, the whole stadium went
2: coon, 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 coon.
1: And then when he was on the pitch, you, you heard it a couple of times as well. Um, one, one time, and I think it was like right at the end of the match, Frankie de Jong got the ball and he went on one of the Frankie de Jong runs. While he went on the run, the whole stadium started
2: coon, 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 coon,
1: coon. Uh, and I, I swear I think Frankie heard it and tried to pass the ball to Kunao which was a terrible pass and a terrible decision he should not have done it but he was just goaded into it by by the stadium yelling Haro's name so so often. Yeah, um, there was
0: that. There was that, that. That jailbreak there in the late in the game
1: when yeah.
0: you know if if it's twenty two year old Sergio Aguero playing for Atletico Madrid, I mean that would have been really something. But I kind of watched and I watched those thirty three year old legs kind of pushing forward, and then he winds up you know having to bring it out wide, and they reset everything and slowed everything down. But yeah, I mean I, I think he's going to be dangerous putting himself in in just spots. Just I mean just having a, a level of that kind of experience late on in a game to have him be a a super sub. I mean, and I think he signed understanding what his role was going to be. The only worry becomes is that before Arturo Vidal really did stake his claim in that time when he was on the bench and kind of pouting and things. I mean, Sergio Aguero, this could turn very sour in the locker room very quickly with him if he doesn't find the role that he thinks that he he's going to get. And I could see that being the problem more so than before we even had the chance to say what he does, or doesn't do on the field. But it seems like right now he's Playing the game the way that, uh, or, or gonna, he's going to be serving the role that he's expected to serve. Um, but I also think, as far as injuries and rotations, again, how is he not going to get opportunities?
1: Uh, I mean, we're pretty, we're stretched pretty thin. So right. you know, look, the young started three or four consecutive matches. So I'm, I'm pretty sure that uh, Kun will get his minutes. I also think that he, he seems humble enough. You know, so uh, even without. Messi, I still don't think he ne- he will necessarily um, uh, expect to start. Um, I think he also knows that he is below the pecking order compared to Memphis and Ansu. Yeah. And neither Memphis or Ansu will will move to the to the right flank to accommodate Kuhn.
0: Right.
1: Okay. So um, if that is the situation, and you know you know that Luke de Jong is not going to play instead of, instead of Cunavaro, uh, breath rate is injured for another four months or so. Yep. So there's, there's just nobody challenging for, for, uh, him for a spot. So I don't think that, uh, uh, we are at risk there, so to speak. And even if it were, even if for some reason he, uh, doesn't play well and gets benched, he accepted the bench at city. Yeah. So, uh, he accepted it, uh, the last season, uh, yeah, he was injured, but he was not a guaranteed starter when he was fit either. Um, he also accepted the bench when uh, City just signed Gabriel Jesus. And Jesus was playing pretty well in the beginning. Uh, and uh, I don't think Aweo really um, became a starter again until Jesus was injured. And then Aweo kind of like claimed this claimed spot back by scoring a lot of goals. So, yeah, no, I think that will be fine. The biggest disappointment for him is when he signed, he thought he would play with Messi.
0: Of course. Yeah. I mean, one of his best friends. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So yeah, I mean, we'll have to see if he even wants to stay beyond what is it? Well, I think he's had for a two year deal, so we'll have to see if right. he even finds a way out, but all right. So the most exciting part of the show, uh, we're going to finish up by discussing again, what was again, the pregame spectacle. I want to say it was a five hour debate going on for the general assembly. And due to some questionable scheduling, I mean, I don't know if you were getting rumblings of this in the stadium, but yeah, it was the AGM was suspended after a five-hour debate that coincided with just two of the five votes that were on the docket taking place. So what did get voted on was one, the validation of the 2020-21 account showing a 481 million euro loss. And then the other vote was for the 2021-22, which is already a season going on, that budget, which is the current year again which is banking on a 765 million euro income which if i'm not mistaken is quite comparable to pre-pandemic numbers because the club is expecting that people will be back in the stadium that the tv deal hasn't really changed right and so that is what that income is based on now what wasn't voted on was i think the more difficult things that i mean why some of that debates went as long as it did the 1.5 billion euro loan needed for By barça for basically the new new camp, new or whatever, whatever you want to call it. And then also permission to sell up to 49% of Barca Studios to make that a, uh, to to some kind of corporate entity, which is basically just an inflection of cash in that way. So instead of, instead of having to tell the socios, you're selling 49% of the club to make it like Germany to 50 plus one, instead, they're just selling 49% of Barca Studios to some corporate entity, again, for just an injection of cash there. And then finally, the statute which says that a board must resign if the club runs at a loss for two seasons in a row, which obviously it will because of the sheer amount of debt that the club has been put in and the fact that this pandemic has surged on for a year and a half instead of just one year. So, the exactly if, if, if they the can't club, get that,
1: if they can't get that one past the assembly, then they should just resign.
0: Because, why were they voted for? Why did they vote for them in the first place? Right. Yeah.
1: <laughs> like, you yeah. know. And then maybe some of the people that are in the assembly and vote no, maybe they should take over the club, and see how they deal with the debt. So I like uh, if we cannot get Article sixty-seven changed to allow for the club to uh, to operate at a at a loss for more than two seasons, uh, without having the board resign, then we should just all pack our bags and go home and never even bother with the club again because. That would just be impossible. The stadium, I mean, here I think the concern is we went from 600 million to 800 million under Bartomeu, Mm -hmm. which was already kind of upsetting, expected, but upsetting. And now we're going from 800 million to 1.5 billion, even though we are already 1.3 billion in debt. So I do understand that. Uh, club members wanna have a good argument about this and that people will need convincing because also also if you tell me one point five billion now knowing how Spain works when all is said and done it will have cost two and a half billion to to renovate the stadium yeah. and it's an insane cost like Tottenham Stadium was not that expensive and they they built a new one. We're talking about a renovation, and I know they're also going to renovate or, or, or well, that they're probably going to tear it down. the The palau, the basketball stadium, and and the skating
0: rink. Um, some of the stuff are coming out in that report of the current state of the stadium, though, is I mean, I haven't been there since you know in four years now, but some of that was incredible. That someone has to be on standby at the like at the at the fuse. The, what do you call it? A fuse box and a fuse station so that one of the fuses doesn't blow and, and everything. I mean, they had to shut down the kitchens and I mean, just some of the stuff that's coming out about the stadium, it's in a dilapidated state and it needs to be renovated severely. But yeah, I mean, there's, there's this, this difference where, I mean, how nice do you need to make it for people to be in the seats? Like what is necessary and what is not, I think is what is a fair debate. Right. That there is a mm-hmm. thing in modern football where it's just it's it can be too lavish. It can be too. I mean, for so many of the fans, I mean, as long as the team is winning on the field and winning trophies and they can get a nice bite to eat and use the restroom and get into the stadium in, in, in and sit in a comfortable seat. Right. Those are kind of like the four or five things. But I mean, I mean, who cares if there's, you know, t- t- the, the, the Sistine Chapel up above on the on the roof on the roof when you when you, um, you know, it overhead.
1: I don't know. I think here part part of the thing that comes in here are all of the tourists that um, uh, go to Barcelona, right? Because it's a very touristic city. So if if you make that that stadium so impressive that people will want to come to
0: the stadium, even though we no longer have Messi. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess what I'm saying is that you have 100,000 people who can go. If anybody, any tourist that comes, if you, if you're one among 100,000 people in a in a soccer st- or a football stadium. I mean, the stadium is going to be nice enough. I mean, that stadium is going to be great if there's 100,000 people in
1: it. But that's the problem. Like yesterday, we were 47,000. Yeah. You know, and for, for a game where theoretically the whole metropolitan area of Barcelona should have been excited for the possibility to, to go to the stadium again. It's, it's unseemly is- that so, so, so many people in the city and that we cannot fill a stadium it's absurd
0: yeah i mean even taking into account that number the fact that valencia is the third most popular team in spain and not that far Mm -hmm. i mean you have people who were born and raised in the valencian community who live in barcelona so i mean if anything it's one of the better away matches for valencia uh, for people to try to get a ticket. I mean, yeah, and seeing the fact that El Clasico isn't completely sold out is worrisome. And I mean, you're there, so you know that it's a combination of a lot of different things, of COVID, of of people changing their routines again to go back to the stadium, of people wanting to shell out money to go see the team in the state they're in. There's, I think there's a lot of factors going into every individual's personal decision whether or not they're going to get their ticket but a lot of it is even the socios who already own tickets and season tickets and their choice whether or not they're going to the stadium at the moment is obviously i think the biggest question
1: uh yeah i mean laporta said that 20 percent of the socios don't uh don't go to the games and don't free up the seat either and when he says don't go to the games it means that nobody is going to the game on that card right okay because any given day you're going to go to the stadium and maybe uh, 25% of the people that are in the stadium are are there because their uncle gave them the season ticket or their father gave them the season ticket or their friend gave them the season ticket I, I myself only live here for 7 years and in in the 3 years before i had a season ticket for myself in those 3 years that i did not have a season ticket i think i went to the stadium maybe 10 times on other people's season tickets, different people who said, oh, I'm not going here. Take mine. Yeah. Because the big story is always that um, there are so many season ticket holders who uh, only have those tickets to make money right. and sell them. That, that's what everybody always says. My experience has not been this at all. Uh, what I see a lot is season ticket holders who, for whatever reason, don't are not going to a match and just give it to somebody. I even went to, to a semi-final once of a season ticket because a guy who i did not really know was given two season tickets by somebody that he was studying with who had the season tickets but was not was not interested in going to the match and that was the semi-final of a champions league they did not sell, sell those season tickets they yeah. just gave it to this guy to invite somebody who they never met right me
0: yeah Right. I mean, it comes um, to asking those individual questions of each individual has their own reasons for what they're going to do with their ticket on why they mm-hmm. might not be using their ticket. And uh, yeah, and it's difficult to to get that information if you're the club to to figure out why socios aren't acting in a certain way or why, or even tourists, why tourists aren't acting in a certain way. And again, yeah, COVID is a big reason why. But right. and yeah, I said, I mean, there are three pieces of business to be voted on. The final piece of news here is that another meeting must be held held in the next 15 days so that those can be voted on. And as you said, whether it's the statute 67 or whether it is the, the loan and the amount of that loan that's needed for their, their project invest by Barca, it's not like they can go back to the drawing board and, you know, and go back to the architects and the civil engineers and come up with a new, you know, a new plan to put forward ahead at, at a smaller number. So they're just going to have to keep debating the 1.5 billion euro loan number. Uh, then again, that, that permission to sell the 49% of Barca Studios, I think that'll be done uh, in a second. I just think that was still still left on the docket. Other than someone like, again, me who works for the Twitch channel, I don't know how many, you know, the... the the 30 or 60 of us who are a part of that situation. I don't know how many people truly care about the, you know, the corporate ownership of, of Barca studios outside of a, right. a few people, as long as people. Yeah. No, I was, I was thinking about you. I was thinking about Diego. Yeah. I was like, right. Oh, how, how, how is that going to affect you guys? Yeah, I just want it to affect me in a positive way. Uh, that's, it's, you know, as it's, it's selfishly as it is. That's, that's what I'd want. Yeah, I mean, I would just want that continued to, you know, infrastructure. And, but if that also means that they're going to continue to, you know, fight for rights, and I mean, and I'd I, I mean even like broadcasting deals and just using that financial metal to continue to enhance the digital product that Barca Studios is trying to put out. So, I mean, if they're going to, if you're going to use that 400% to invest in Barca Studios, I'm, you know, I'm a lot happier. I mean, I'm not going to get into all the, the behind the scenes stuff of the Twitch channel, but yeah, I mean, there are places where with with even more financial investment, you know, we know on our side that, I mean, we could have a better product with just a little bit more of, you know, of support and that and that would work great. And they're going yeah. to continue that. I would hope for for that infrastructure or they were used to pay down debt. One of those two things. I, I,
1: I don't think that they will use it for Barca Studios. The, the club needs money so bad that if they sell uh, part of it, They're going to put that money to plug some holes somewhere. Right. Unfortunately. Including,
0: including Ansu Fati's renewal. So you know what? Hey, if if I'm given, if I'm yeah. giving up a little lecture for Ansu to renew, then that's, that's the price of being a Kool-Aid. That's the price of being a Barca fan. But one of the prices of being a Barca fan is that you had to sit through another edition of the Barcelona podcast. I so hopefully you enjoyed this one again, follow that's Barca Lev on Twitter. and We are on Twitter and Instagram at the Barcelona pod. You can join our closed Facebook group, just answer the questions and I let you in and also just behave. And I keep you in, and then the Patreon is how we keep making these shows. And it's also a little bit of uh. Our financial support. I'm not willing to give 49% of the podcast to anybody if you come in, but uh, $3 does get you into the uh, listening to these shows without the ad. So it's a little bit of something over there. And then we're on YouTube with the match of views. And as I had said, I had spoke about it. It hasn't affected the audio podcast, but my computer, which I got in June, uh, it did kind of explode in, in a sense. So that is in the shop. And that means that the video portion of our whole infrastructure has been shut down for a few days. But yes, we are on YouTube and I have a lot of great stuff that's cooking and. Literally getting, I'm ready to export. I'm ready to hit uh, Control M for those uh, who use keystrokes uh, or shortcuts. So I'm ready to hit export and a bunch of fun stuff. So we're on YouTube over at the Barcelona on the podcast. But most importantly, thanks so much for listening to the show. Until next time, we'll talk to you soon. Force the Varsa.